politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for our lives as if our lives depend on it because they do. Here at CR Podcast, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Thursday to offer knowledge and truth because knowledge and truth are indeed power. Now, folks, it's very simple. Do you want to be governed and ruled over and told what to do? Well, I think too many do, unfortunately. But if you are not one of them, which I know you're not, we must fight for change because change will not happen on its own. This is the important thing. They don't have to pass new bad things. That system is locked and loaded. Unless we affirmatively interpose against it, our lives are at stake. And there's so many big things to talk about, so many things I could talk about. And tomorrow we're going to talk about the global warming and the energy jihad, energy and food, with Joe Bastardi to get into the science of global warming and the fakeness of that, just like the science of the vaccine uh, genocide. But for this week, I wanted to focus again on the shots now that Congress is out of session and we could do more work on this. So we're going to have a new doctor coming up to discuss what he's seeing on the ground. But folks, there is no greater issue than this. There is no issue that is killing more people, no more disgusting agenda, eugenics agenda, than the mass vaccination agenda. And COVID was the opening act. There's flu and RSV at the doorstep. We got to do something about it. And there is no enlightened consent. They, they have this bottlenecked through the entire medical system even before we get to pressure and mandates. Any, everyone's pediatrician is going to say to get it. This is the biggest pro-life issue. mRNA shots. We need a bill, and this is another thing. We pushed the bill yesterday, constitutional amendment, making progress. Sorry for talking so quickly. There's so much to get out today before our guest. But we need a bill in every state legislature banning mRNA vaccines for five years. So that will give us time to you know, get, get all the information against it, and then hopefully it will fall apart. Five-year moratorium, or if you want to do even a two-year moratorium, I'll take that because we have an immediate problem. Every baby and every nursing home and every pregnant woman is about to get what was the most dangerous vaccine in history before mRNA, now mixed with mRNA. But first, folks... Speaking of dangers, it's lurking in our food as well. The, uh, B- Bill Gates wants to put um, mRNA in the food. They're already putting in all sorts of hormones and antibiotics and crazy stuff, inflammation. They want you to eat zibugs. Although I guarantee you in Davos they're not doing that. Moinkbox delivers you grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaska salmon straight to your door. It's the best tasting. It's the healthiest. It's the most unvarnished. It's done by American farmers um, in Missouri, six generations. This is how you support American farming by signing up at moinkbox.com conservative. But if you do that, you get a free year of filet mignon. So in, in addition to paying for the monthly boxes of your assortment, and you could choose your different lamb and uh, chicken 
uh, meat and uh, and uh, salmon. The salmon is very very good, fresh freshly caught. But you get free filet mignon for an entire year. Support American farming and break the food cartel, just like we're doing with the medical cartel. So again, that's spelled M O I N K box dot com slash conservative. Get oinked with Moink at moinkbox.com slash conservative. So folks, a lot of people have been um, passing around on the internet uh, the clip of Ezra Levant, our buddy from Rebel Media, cornering Joseph Mengele II, a.k.a. Albert Borla, Pfizer, and asking him about his genocide. He couldn't answer. He tried to run away, and you know he got into a corner. Great video, but there's... A couple of even more important videos you need to listen to. I'm going to play all two minutes here. Moderna's CEO, Bensel, was on with CNBC. Take a listen. And so we deployed the mRNA technology. And actually, if you look at one of the amazing things about this technology is we started the phase one for the RSV vaccine in January 2021, mm-hmm. just after the COVID-19 vaccine was approved. And here we are just 24 months after we are announcing phase three positive data. So think about how long it would have taken for traditional technology. I mean, Joe, maybe six, seven, eight years. Right. What do you use? The, a, 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 not a spike? Is it a spike protein? No, in that case, it's a, surface it's a, pre- a super, yeah, pre-fusion protein, which is a, one of the key proteins of the yeah, RSV yeah. virus. That highly conserved. Code. Correct. Highly conserved. It doesn't mutate as much as flu or COVID. And so we run the experiment in a clinic, you know, 37,000 participants, placebo control, you know, double blind, randomized, all the good stuff. And very happy when we were able last night to share the results in you know, New York Times. Uh, and we are preparing the filing to the FDA. Uh, if need be, we actually during the Christmas break bought a voucher to accelerate the filing and the access to market. And the other great news about mRNA is because all the products use the same manufacturing process. We don't have capacity constraint because we can use exactly the same equipment, people, and raw material as with the COVID shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lipid. Same lipid, yeah. yeah. To get to, to the site where, yeah. where it's expressed. Similar uh, side effect profile, I would imagine. Actually, it's very interesting. The great free kind of fever and things like that. The placebo group, so people who got water in placebo, 2.8%. In the active group, the vaccine group, 4.0%. So I see it's very, very close to the placebo group. So we really like the high efficacy and very good tolerability. Can I ask you something really, really quickly, and it's still in dispute. Is, do you think a, uh, for example, with COVID, the, the messenger RNA vaccine, I always assumed natural immunity was better because it would have been generated against the entire virus. There were others that argued, and I, I argued on the air, that why would a spike protein that's such a specific part, it's a great way to do it, but I would still think natural immunity would, would be better, and they, they disputed that at first. They said, no, we concentrate the spikes together, and it gets the... But wouldn't a whole virus give you better immunity than, than a portion of the virus? Actually, it has been debated a lot, as yeah. you said, Joe. And actually, the, the real-world evidence data actually show that people vaccinated have less risk of being hospitalized than people not vaccinated. It's really hard to run a That's very a precise study. It's a different method than infection itself, yeah, I guess. Exactly. So, folks, he brags about creating the shots before the virus even had a name. And so that demonstrates we know they're working with the CIA, if not set up by a CIA and defense establishment. We know they were doing this since 2013. We know they had 15 mRNA shots they were working on, but never released a single one until they became the key player in the Super Bowl of biomedicine. 
leading the way with the COVID vaccine, and then now suddenly they're accelerating their filing for their RSV shot with the FDA. They've already done their phase three, and they're using the same. He said they're going to use the same process to constantly churn out many more mRNA shots. They have this streamlined. They had this set up for a decade, but they use COVID as the impetus. So those idiots who think this issue is over and just want to do nothing about it, they are missing abortion times 100. So that's number one. Number two, Bansell was on another program warning that pandemics might continue to come. Take a listen. A lot of countries are forgetting. The pandemic is still ongoing. Still, as we say, no, a lot of people are dying every day. But a lot of governments are moved to other things. And that's a problem because we need investments in public health infrastructure, in healthcare workers, in genomic surveillance. There's so many pieces that need to happen. I mean, in, industry can do so, so much, but we need the governments to really keep at it because we all know there's going to be other outbreaks. There's going to be, God forbid, another pandemic, and we need to be much better prepared that time. Very excited now that we are building a factory in Canada. We already broke ground in the fall. We're building a factory in Australia. Uh, we are going to start a factory this quarter in the UK, and we're also going to start building a factory in Kenya. We're talking to a couple more countries because I would really like on every continent to have mRNA capacity. So it's interesting. He's building mRNA factories in every continent, and he says there's more pandemics coming. Now, again, this man has built multi-billion, tens of billions of dollar empire to build factories in every continent to come up with 15 mRNA shots on every respiratory virus imaginable. Do you think he's going to allow that investment to go to waste without a pathogen? How do you think the pathogen started to begin with? How do you think he had this sequence to begin with? Let me give you a third clip, clip three here, of almost 11 months ago, Bansell was on with Maria Bartiromo, and Maria Bartiromo confronted him on how in the world the genetic sequencing of the vaccine was found in the virus, but was also patented by Moderna years ago for cancer research. Take a listen. I've got to end on this story that has been circulating. No doubt you saw it about the origins of COVID. We've all been trying to understand how this started and whether or not this did come from a lab in Wuhan. Uh, let me ask you what the Daily Mail is reporting. It says more evidence COVID was tinkered with in a lab. Now scientists find the virus contains a tiny chunk of DNA that matches sequence patented by Moderna three years before the pandemic began. Your reaction, Stefan, what can you tell us? So my scientists are looking into those data to see how accurate they are or not. As I've said before, the hypothesis of an escape from a lab by an accident is possible, you know, human makes mistakes. So uh, is it possible that the Wuhan lab in China was working on uh, viruses uh, enhancement or gene modification? And then there was an accident where somebody was infected in the lab and then infected their families and friends. It is possible on the claim you just uh, mentioned, uh, the scientists are analyzing to know if it's uh, real or not. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I was struck by the line, it matched a genetic sequence patented by Moderna for cancer research purposes, Stefan. 
Yeah, and that's the type of things that the team is looking at very carefully to know is it is it real or not. Okay. So it, it takes a bit of time to analyze yeah. all the genetic sequence. Well, Stefan, again, uh, really important work that you and your scientists are doing. We thank you so much for walking us through it this morning. Thanks so much, Stefan Bonsell. So, folks, that was 11 months ago, Maria Bartiromo, and he said, yeah, well, uh, we're looking into it. We'll get back to you. Well, 11 months later, we don't have that answer. That's one of the most forgotten, devastating clips around and revelations. So they had the sequence already for the virus, for the vaccine, using it in other technology. They had all this technology lined up but never introduced it until COVID. Then they introduce it, kill millions of people. And now that it's out in the open, I mean, no one wants to get it. We, we won the issue, not, not policy-wise, because the Republican Party is a fake opposition, but in the media, we've actually won. And now they're saying there's going to be more pathogens. We have the ability to make them everywhere, anytime, anyplace. And the RSV shot is literally around the corner in a few months. What does that tell you? Oh, and by the way, one other piece of information. The Pfizer CEO, Albert Borla, announced at Davos same day that a new mRNA flu vaccine is due by June or July this year and a COVID flu combo is in, the, is in the works. I cannot think of a more imminent life and liberty issue than this. Despite everything going on, CRT, the training stuff, the energy crisis, illegal immigration, you name it. It's all bad. The, this will literally, remember, unlike COVID, they're going to say, yes, this is a big problem. This affects the children. This particularly RSV affects newborns. They Everyone, every pediatrician is going to tell every parent to get this. So not only do we need to end mandates, but we need to block these shots. Oh, uh, you, could, you could do whatever you want. Well, you could do whatever you want and get an abortion too. And everyone knows that's wrong. This thing, people think they're doing the best thing for their kid. This is so, so dangerous. So I want to develop this a little bit more. Um, but first, our other sponsor today, Masterworks, a new platform of investment. Unlike a new platform for vaccines, this is actually worth exploring. The S&P is down, what, 13% over the year? NASDAQ is down 24%. Where are you going to put your money? Americans are struggling to buy a dozen eggs at a reasonable price, let alone to protect their nest eggs. So for those of us who know that more pain is on the horizon with inflation and the stock market is on the one hand, you know, not performing, but it's still kind of relatively close to a record high or near the high, where is it going to go? There's a new form of investments called Masterworks. They've unlocked one of history's most exclusive investments, blue chip art, which was previously only for millionaires and billionaires. Well, you know, I can't buy a painting for $5 million, but here they create a market out of it. So they purchase, you know, they pull together the money, purchase artists like uh, Banksy and Picasso. Um, my producer, Chris, just recently put in money in Picasso, just like any investment. You could buy shares in it. So let's say the painting's $5 million. You buy 1% shares, and it turns a profit. They make $5 million profit. I mean, you make $5,000. So it, it has basically made this form of investing accessible to, to regular investors. Um, and they've already scored 11 sales, each one of them profitable, all 11. 
Masterworks returns tens of millions to investors in 2022. If you are interested, like I am, in discovering this groundbreaking investment platform, you can go to masterworks.com slash conservative review as a trusted partner. You get an exclusive invitation to open your free no-obligation Masterworks account today. Okay, it doesn't mean you have to invest. You sign up again at masterworks.art, masterworks.art slash conservative review, masterworks.art slash conservative review. Don't flush your money in the cartel that's not even doing good anymore. So, so folks, again, I mean, this issue is, is of urgency, urgent, urgent, urgent. And I just want to make clear one of the interesting things Bansell said is, oh, it's not a spike protein. So it's funny. Now, in order to play up RSV, they kind of talk down COVID. Oh, yeah, that was a spike protein. Oh, so you poisoned us. But remember, the, the problem is not only um, the – it's not only the spike protein. It's the entire mRNA platform. The lipid nanoparticles are pro-inflammatory and, and cancerous and problematic. The, there's many other materials we talked about that are causing these allergic reactions. Remember, in the COVID shots, there's 280 uh, ingredients, according to Borla, and we don't know what they are. Same thing here. And then, again, most importantly, what anyone with any shred of academic and intellectual honesty by looking at the academic research, what we've learned is that there clearly is no modulation or shutoff of mRNA. So it produces whatever it is. If it's not a spike protein, it could be something that could potentially be good. But everything that is good is good in the right quantities. It produces an infinite amount in an infinite number of places for an infinite period of time. There's no shutoff. So it's not just vaccines. All this technology needs to be suspended. Meaning the only time you could potentially use this is with a terminally ill patient for a targeted treatment because what do you have to lose? But in terms of broad-based preventative vaccine-style or like cross-the-board drugs, you can't do that. That's never going to be safe. I mean, and that's assuming they're not trying to kill us, which they are. But I mean, even if you're trying to be an innovative... It ain't there, that technology. Every state needs to ban this for a period of time. That's all we need. It's just a period of time. If you don't want to do it indefinitely and look like you're against innovation, I'm telling you, it's a winning issue. The public is against mRNA. I mean, I believe all vaccines need to be looked into, but at least that, most of the new ones coming down the pipeline, if not all of them, as they mentioned, because it's more economical to them, is the mRNA. That is the single biggest pro-life issue. And then there's the other aspect of this, putting aside mRNA lipid nanoparticles, and that is viral vac- viral um, respiratory viruses are not good candidates for vaccines. What we've learned, what we're learning in front of our eyes, with the more you inject, the more you infect, they create viral immune escape. They create mutations. They create antibody-dependent disease enhancement. They create original antigenic sin. The misfiring of the antibody class that it produces. There's the whole IgG4 business, the tolerating versus the neutralizing antibodies. We have to build upon what we've learned. But with RSV, we learned that 
60 freaking years ago. Well, we're to believe suddenly, now that COVID came, they cracked the code from 60 years ago? No. No, they didn't. So that would be even without the mRNA, even with a traditional platform, an RSV is the worst type of vaccine. But again, this they're going to say, oh, this is exclusively young children and maybe older people and pregnant women that it's a danger for. So you really, unlike COVID, you really need to get this. I'm telling you, if you if this is not your top issue, you're not pro-life. This cannot be on the back burner. So this is absolutely going to be a huge, huge priority of mine headed forward. So now, folks, I know one of the really most popular parts of this show the last two years was the brilliant and and brave doctors we brought on the show to bring down an issue that largely was inaccessible to the average layman to all of you that you were able to explain to your family, your friends, yourself with certitude that you were making the right choices, you understood the science, the medicine behind everything, the virus, the shots, the treatment, and we covered it all. And obviously, you know, we had to move on to other issues as well, and we're still covering those issues. But today I wanted to have another one of those doctors on, one we never had on before, but he was really one of the earliest ones warning about not just, eh, there's some fatigue from the shot, but micro-clotting and also (laughs) cancers and things like that. And like so many of those doctors, he has faced a tremendous amount of punishment, blowback, loss of income, um, and is really a great story here. Um, Dr. Charles Hoff, he's a family physician, emergency room doctor for almost 30 years in a small town in British Columbia, Canada. He's, uh, you know, he himself started giving out the shots. You know, he was the doctor there. But unlike almost anyone else, he jumped on them as soon as he saw the first sign of trouble pursuant to the Nuremberg Code in March, March 2021. Think about that date, folks. How many lives could have been saved? You know, very few younger people got the shot by then. He sent a letter to colleagues warning about the shots. And instead of being heated, he was punished. And here we are today. Uh, you know, 14,000 categories of VAERS injuries later. And these thil- things are not only still not pulled off the market, but their technology in a couple months will be harnessed to unleash our mRNA flu shots, mRNA RSV shots. Uh, the WHO just put out on Twitter a couple hours ago, this Dr. Mike Ryan, vaccination is about protecting yourself, but it's also an inherently altruistic act. You're vaccinating yourself in order to be part of an immune group that will then protect those who can't be vaccinated. This is a religious belief impervious to logic, reason, debate, clinical observations, data, science, anything. But with us is one person who is all about all of those things. Dr. Hoff, thanks so much for joining us for the first time here at Blaze Media. You're most welcome, Daniel. It's a, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be with you this morning. Well, I've wanted you on the show ever since watching your video, gosh, what is it, like a year and a half ago already, about the micro-clotting, which was, in my mind, the first indication that really tugged on my fears that this wasn't just a degree of injury that's way past what we typically tolerate, but something well beyond that that ropes in a tremendous percentage of people. Could you start with the timeline 
of when you started seeing trouble in your clinical practice? Yeah, well, in my clinic, well, I can tell you that that I had um, I had been suspicious of mRNA or, or gene therapy technology right from the start because you know doctors are supposed to practice evidence based medicine, which means that we've got to be constantly looking at the latest research and evaluating it and weighing things up so that we do no harm. That is our job as doctors is to protect our patients and to make sure that we do that we're we're up to date. And so so when I had seen previous attempts to make gene therapy vaccines after the first SARS uh, pandemic, you know, the first SARS virus came out of Wuhan in China in 2002. And they after that, after they managed to stop that, they tried to develop a vaccine against it. And it was a messenger RNA, messenger RNA based vaccine. And they found that ultimately they tested it on laboratory animals and found that ultimately it made those laboratory animals more vulnerable to the virus than if they hadn't been vaccinated. This is called antigenic enhancement. So it was abandoned. So when this when this um, when I heard that they were making mRNA based vaccines against the second SARS virus, I thought um, this is crazy. The first attempt (laughs) was abandoned because it caused more harm than good. So I was immediately suspicious that this was not going to go well. And when I heard that there were no animal trials going to be done because this is warp speed technology, you know, they they, they just didn't have time. They they were going to test it on a select group of people for a short time and then just roll it out. I thought this is craziness. This is craziness. You know, with, with a new type of technology, they should do way more safety testing, not less. So. So, in fact, back in, you know, literally uh, about two months after the VAX rollout started in the area where I am in southern British Columbia, but by that point, 12 countries in Europe had already shut down the, the AstraZeneca vaccine because of large life-threatening blood clots. So I sent an email to a group of 18 of my medical colleagues. They weren't all doctors. Some were nurses, some were pharmacists, some were other people who were giving out these shots because I should just, just to correct you, I never gave anyone any of these shots because I had done my homework ahead of time and I knew this was not going to okay, end so well. Okay, so I misread that so, online. So, and um, so yeah, to be, no, to be that's clear... Yeah, put out there. That's, yeah. Yeah, to be clear, no, you're I, always I had against made very them. Clear. Yes, I, because I had looked at the previous evidence, which had been, a, you know, the research had, had really show no evidence of benefit and an exceptional evidence of harm even before they started. So I was I was suspicious from the start, especially when I heard it was, you know, this warp speed technology. You know, it, it was crazy. This was this was nuts. So so I sent a, a personal email. This was not a public statement. It was not anything on uh, social media. I sent a, a personal email to 18 colleagues in my area saying there is evidence of harm from these shots. Um, there's normally a, 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 a medical, a principle of medical ethics that if you're testing out a new treatment and there is evidence of harm, you're supposed to stop the experiment until you can investigate it further. So I said to them, it looks like we've reached a turning point in this VAX rollout. And this was literally two months into the rollout in, in my area. Uh, I, I said, you know, I think we should be pausing this to evaluate this more thoroughly. And this was 
I also mentioned to them that there is a personal liability issue, that if you're giving anybody a medical treatment which has evidence of harm and you do not inform them of that harm, there is a liability issue for those health professionals who are effectively not giving those people the benefit of informed consent because you're concealing the evidence of harm by not telling them about it. So if this was sent to the, the my licensing body, who's the College of Physicians and Surgeons in British Columbia, as a complaint that I was causing vaccine hesitancy and I was therefore putting people at risk. And I was given a gag order and told that I was not allowed to say anything negative about these shots um, in our health facility and that, that I was going to be under investigation by the College of Physicians and Surgeons. So I was very puzzled right off the bat. You know, doctors are supposed to be all about patient safety. And the fact that we were not allowed to question the safety of this was a huge red flag to me. I, I thought this is, yep. this is peculiar. This, this, there's something wrong here. And then, so, so during those first two months, I had actually been away on holiday. I'd been overseas visiting family. And I came back to my practice. And this was the first thing I did just about on the first day back. I sent off this email saying, hang on, guys. I think we should pause. And, and, and then I started to see the vaccine injuries in my own patients. And people were coming in initially all with neurological problems ever since their shot. And with some of these people, it started uh, within, within hours. Um, all of them had started within three days. And the problems that I was seeing were, were weakness of various parts of their body. Um, it wasn't initially Bell's palsies, although I've se certainly seen that now. Um, bilateral weakness in both hands. I had three people who had such weak hands. I mean, one of them said she couldn't open a door that had a round doorknob mm. because she didn't have enough strength in both hands to be able to open the door. So she'd had to get some workmen in to change the door handles in her house so that she could open the door to a sort of a lever type. Uh, door mechanism so and and people with chronic pain and weird sort of electrical jolts that would shoot down their limbs dizziness uh, light sensitivity ringing in the ears um, all kinds of neurological problems um, and so so i i had been told i wasn't that if i had any questions about this i needed to be directing them to the medical health officer in my region, and I was was not allowed to talk to my colleagues about this. So I sent this person a letter, and I said, "These are this is what I'm seeing. Um, please, can you tell me what the mechanism of injury might be, and how, as these people's doctor, should I be treating this?" And of course, I got no answer. So I sent a second letter, um, getting a little bit more irritated um, because doctors are supposed to do no harm. Yep. And, and, and both of those letters were sent to the College of Physicians and Surgeons as complaints. Uh, and and so, so my list of complaints against me was racking up because I was very concerned about the safety of this. So I then sent an open letter to our, our provincial health officer where, and at that point I said 900 people in my community have now been, have now received this and I told her, this is the number of neurological problems I've got. And I set out the numbers, basically. And so that's where the idea, people assumed from that letter, because I said 900 people have been vaccinated, that I vaccinated ah, 900 got people. Got it, got it. 
so, so that's where that came. It was just an assumption. They, 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 they that, that, that. Anyway, that, that, that's a, that's a trivial de- detail. And of course, again, I got no answer. Um, but I had been warned to send it as an open letter because initially I was going to just send it as a closed letter. I'm not a. I've never. I've never been anybody that wanted to be public in any way. I have never in my life put anything on social media. I've never asked to be interviewed or offered to be interviewed. I, I'm a quiet country doctor that has never wanted to be in the limelight in any way. And, and so, um, so this, this matter, so I was warned by colleagues, this provincial health officer will, does not reply to letters. You may as well put it in the shredder. So unless you, if you want anybody to take note of this, you need to send it as an open letter. So that's what I did. And so it was referred to a vaccine safety specialist who offered me a, a, a telephone meeting and at this meeting assured me that none of the neurological problems that I was seeing in my patients was from the vaccine because the vaccine doesn't cause neurological problems. Sure. And so and these were all coincidences. They were all coincidences. And they said, um, you, you know, they, they sent me the, 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 the template for uh, submitting a vaccine injury report. Um, and I said, I've already got that. I, I want this investigated. I don't want to just submit a report. I want this investigated. This is doing terrible things that people need to know about. And, and they refuse. They just said, this is all coincidence. So anyway, just by the way, I have not, I then submitted 14 vaccine injury reports and every single one was rejected higher up and saying, nope, these are not vaccine injuries. These are all coincidences. And so they're literally censored. You, you can't. That's why Canada has such a low, you know, they keep telling people this is so safe uh, because you can't report. It's literally blocked. It's blocked. And, and, and I think the audience needs to understand the context also that, you know, we, we now know since then in the ensuing two years of research, now we're concerned about very long-term symptoms. But what you're uh, roping in here were just exclusively things within hours or days of the shot. So even those were rejected. Exactly. You know, and I said to this vaccine safety specialist, and at that point, I mean, this was really early on. I think I had six neurologically injured people. And I said, every single one of these started within 72 hours. And the, I've been these people's family doctor for 29 years. I know them very well. I have, you know, I've looked after four generations in their families, you know, literally from newborns to grandma, uh, you know, great grandma. And, and, you know, I've been in the same small, rural, mostly First Nations community for a long mm-hmm. time. And I like knowing my patients really well because then I can take good care of them. The better you know them, the better you can care for them. And I knew these people didn't have these problems before. And so to tell me that these suddenly were all coincidences was was logically absurd. Logically absurd. So so that's the neurological stuff. So then I remember when I heard about the blood clotting um you know, I was still busy fighting the lockdowns and things like that. So it was around March 2021 that I started having on these doctors and doing shows on vaccine injury and raising questions. I never understood the issues. I never knew immunology. But once these guys taught it to me, I was like, wow, you know, how do these guys not understand the concept of ADE and immune imprinting and, you know, respiratory viruses mutating? And obviously, we had research on this with SARS-1, like you mentioned. But then we started seeing the blood clotting which was very obvious from the spike protein because we knew that the the, the virus spike protein uh, was causing that. Um, so then I figured, all right, this is going to be taken off the market. That's what I thought. March, April, this is done with. Um, 
because even the numbers that they were saying were well beyond what we typically take something off the market for. But then you really broke the news of something that was nagging at us. And we were thinking, wait a minute. We know how this spike works. Is this just the tip of the iceberg? And are is there really a much larger percentage of people who are experiencing microclotting? So I want you to talk to the audience about your discovery with the microclotting and then fast forward a year and a half later what you're seeing now. Absolutely. So so Daniel, after after I sent that open letter that I told you about, that, that, that letter that spoke about what the, the neurological problems that I was seeing in my own patients, um, that letter went around the world. Because at that point, people knew about blood clots, but they were all just large blood clots. But, but, but the Moderna seemed to be pretty good. They were, they were, it was Pfizer and, and, and the AstraZeneca and J&J that had some evidence of large blood clots. But but the Moderna, and the, so the neurological, people took note of that because I was reporting neurological problems. So, so I, I was then put in touch with a group of, of brilliant scientists and doctors, mostly in Europe, some from the, U, the, U, uh, the U.S., uh, um, and, and particularly somebody called Professor um, Bogdi. And, and so he... We started talking about the fact that the delivery system for these shots is literally designed to take this messenger RNA to every part of your body. Mm. Uh, it, it, you know, normally a vaccine stays in your arm. It does it. It creates antibodies in the muscle in your arm. It doesn't get into your brain and your heart and your lungs yes. and everywhere else. But but the delivery system for this was literally designed cross the blood-brain barrier, to cross the placental barrier. There was no part of your body that was not going to be reached. And we knew that this spike protein that the VAX is designed to generate because it literally gives your body this genetic material so that your body literally becomes a spike protein factory. So you're going to have these spikes everywhere. They're going to be in your brain, in your heart, in your lungs, in every organ. They're going to be in the ovaries. They're going to be in the testicles. They're going to be everywhere. So because we knew that these spike proteins were very prone to causing blood clots, what medically we would call being thrombogenic, they, they were they, they induced clots and they induced inflammation. So because this was we and it had been released at that point from some hidden Pfizer data that within 15 minutes, this vaccine was intravenous. And of course, these little nanocapsules with the messenger RNA, once they're in your bloodstream, when they're absorbed from your bloodstream, the absorption happens by the cells around your blood vessels. So literally, it, this messenger RNA is going to end up in your, in your endothelial cells, which are the cells that line your blood vessels. And because most of the absorption occurs in capillary networks, absorption doesn't happen much in in large vessels where the blood's moving quickly in large arteries and that sort of thing. It, it, you, the absorption happens in these capillary networks because the blood slows right down and you've got a very large surface area mm. with this, like a delta of, of, of little vessels. So, that, so that's where so most... Sort of know, like the side roads. The capillaries most, are like the side roads. Exactly. 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 That's where the traffic slows right down. So that's where absorption's going to happen. So, 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 so the rationale was that these spike, most of them are going to end up in capillary, in the cells lining capillary networks. So, so the idea was then, so, so obviously, if this is going to cause microclotting, 
that's where they're going to be. They're going to be in the capillaries. They're not. So these are not going to show up on an MRI or a CT scan because they're microscopic. They're just too small. So I started doing a blood test called a D-dimer test. Um, and so a D-dimer test is a test that's frequently usually done in emergency departments to see if somebody has a blood clot somewhere in their body. And I started... As patients were coming into my, my family practice, into my office, I would say to them, you know, have you had your shot? You know, because I've been given this gag order. I'm not allowed to say anything bad about this thing, so I've got to be very careful. Um, I, you know, I'd say, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out um, what, you know, how, how this batch rollout's going. Um, have you had your shot yet? Um, and, and would you like it monitored? And, and what I was trying to do is to get people who would have a D-dimer test before their shot so that I had a baseline because it's a bit variable person to person. And, but there's a threshold, you know, or usually a 500 that's considered the upper range of normal and it's over 500, then it's abnormal. But, but there are other things that can make it go up um, that are interfering variables. And so I was trying to find people that hadn't had their shot yet and said, would you be willing to do another test Seven days later, well, I, I made it between four and eight days because D-dimer goes back to normal. You can't do it months later and it'll go back to normal. So you've got to do it within a, within a, a week or two after the clot for it yes. to still show. And, and, Unless and you've got just, ongoing clot. Just if you could explain in layman's terms what exactly it does. It measures the scabbing that it finds in the blood? Yeah, so it's measuring, it's measuring fibrin. It's called a fibrin D-dimer. So fibrin... Fibrin is a, actually it's a protein in your blood, like little strands. And and how clotting works when you injure yourself. Let's say you you cut your finger or you graze your knee, um, and the blood vessels are damaged because they got cut and you're bleeding. So as the blood comes through those little those little capillaries, those vessels, and it hits a rough spot, that rough spot triggers. The, the platelets are designed to recognize rough spots on vessels. So if they, if it triggers, if, if a, and this is the problem when you've got all these spike proteins that are then in the cells around your blood vessels, because the, the spike proteins become part of the cell wall. They don't just stay inside the cell. In a virus, they're part of the viral capsule. That's what gives a coronavirus its name. These spikes that stick out, it looks like a crown with these little probes, you know, things that stick out. So, so, so this was the concern that, that, that because these these are a non-human protein that's not supposed to be in our body, it's supposed to be in a virus. So so these spikes are going to form part of the of the cell wall, and that's how it was designed to work. Then your body, your your immune system recognizes this abnormal protein and generates an antibody against it. it was, this was the way it was supposed to work. The problem was because it was going to be in these capillary, it's going to be in the endothelial cells. That spike now makes your, the lining of your blood vessels rough, not smooth. So that when a platelet comes down that little capillary and hits this rough spot of all these mm. spikes, um, it, it's going to trigger a clot. It's guaranteed because that's what platelets are designed to do. And of course, once the platelets trigger the clotting mechanism, the platelets stick to it, then the fibrin sticks to the platelets. It's a bit like rebar in, in concrete. You know, these are the... <laughs> The strand that make the clot stronger is the fibrin. And so, 
so th- this clot then starts to form with platelets and fibrin um, and blocks off that vessel to stop the bleeding. That, that's, that, that's the way our bodies are designed by, by God. So it's a wonderful mechanism. So, so the, fib- the, the D-dimer test actually measures the breakdown of fibrin. So it's actually your body trying to fix that clot kind of thing. The, the, the bleeding's been stopped. Now we need to, to kind of do the repair. And that's what the D-dimer test, it's a fibrin. So, so that's why it goes back to normal. Once that fibrin's been removed and your body's trying to deal with that, it goes back to normal. But, but the biggest issue, Daniel, is that a clotted vessel never goes back to normal. It, 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 if it's in a capillary, that capillary will be permanently blocked. If it's in a large vessel, it may partially open up, but it will never go back to normal. So the concern was, and so what, what I should just tell your, your, your listeners, I found that, I, unfortunately, my, my medical practice got burned. So uh, the, our lab got burned. Everything, it, it got, yeah, it was a disaster. Anyway, so, and, and I'd, by that point, I'd only managed to do it on 15 patients. I went public on this because I was so horrified. Initially, the first eight results I got back, 62% had evidence of clotting. And I was so horrified by this that I couldn't keep silent. Uh, I, was, I was planning to do this as a scientific study. I, I was trying to get other doctors involved to try and help gather the evidence. I thought if people could do it around the world with different vaccines and different things, I, you know, this, this would be useful. But when I found the first, uh, you know, out of the five out of the first eight, all had positive D-dimers. I was absolutely horrified. So I started speaking about this, you know, in, on an interview. I had an interview coming up, and I, they said, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, I've got something I need to talk about. And then, and then by the time I had 15, everything went up in smoke. And, and so, um, so unfortunately, that put an end to it. But, but, but ultimately, it was 53% of my patients had, had, had positive D-dimers within eight days of their shot. So, so, so the take-home message in this with, with, with blood clotting is that, well, firstly, none of these people were vax injured. These were people who thought their shot did no harm. Yes. This, these were people who thought, thought their shot was fine, but yet this was permanent damage to their vascular system of which they were completely unaware. So it's not like a typical blood clot in your uh, leg. You'll often experience trouble walking, severe pain. But in this case, they weren't. They, they didn't know they had it. No, because it would because it's going to be. Firstly, these are, are microscopic. If this happens in your your arm, you might have a sore arm or your sore leg, you know. But if it happened in your liver or your spleen, you're going to have no idea. If this happens in your ovaries or your testicles, you won't have any idea. Except if it was an ovaries, a woman might have periods, might start go haywire or something Which like they that. Kind but of did. Most parts of your body. <laughs> So they did. If this happens in your brain, yeah, then you could get dizziness, fatigue, nausea. You might get light sensitivity. You might. You, wow. This would explain a lot of the neurological things that people experience after their shot. That yeah, that fatigue could be spike. It could be microclotting in your brain. It, it and of course now. So, so this is now. Uh, you know, talking about being under investigation, this I, I've, I've been accused by the college for, for many things. You know, I mean, for, for, you know, one of them is is claiming that this causes microclotting. This is misinformation. Um, and, you know, I've got a trial coming up, a 10 day trial. Uh, you know, I don't know what they'll do to me. Well, but CDC just admitted it could cause clotting. 
Well, the, the, no, but but this was the, the, it's it's the micro clotting that that they're because we I mean we've known very early on that it causes large blood clots. Yep. I mean there've been so many strokes and heart attacks, but but it's the micro clotting, and so this is now proven with autopsy uh, pathology slides that have shown this conclusively. Um, but you know for a long time they were not doing uh, autopsies on vax on people who died after their shots. And not only that, even when they did, the pathologists would say they had no idea why they died because they hadn't, nobody, this is a brand new mechanism of injury that we've never seen before. So yes. no, the pathologists didn't know how to stain for the spike protein. They didn't know how to look for it. If you don't know how to, how to recognize something, you're not going to find it. So I, I, we're almost and, and run, so, running out of time here, but I want to get to a couple more things to, to close the loop on this microclotting. I know there's two questions that are going to be on the minds of the listeners that are very keen on what has been going on. If if the microclotting is suspected to be that widespread, two questions. Number one, is that you know possibly one of the mechanisms behind the epidemic of died suddenly and even not necessarily right after the shot, but potentially months later? And also two, and connected to it, we now have a man in Ohio, I was going to have him on the show next week, uh, who has now contacted, he has now gotten confirmation from o- over 80 embalmers in the United States. We had one Hirschman from Alabama on the show. Uh, he talked about this early, seeing these Frankenstein white fibrin looking clots out of the bodies and not just the veins, but even the arteries uh, that they've never seen in all their years of handling bodies. Um, and, and they find it very prevalent and beginning around 2021 could this organizing microclotting over time create that? No, I don't think so, because those things are, are actually not conventional blood clots. Those are, they have actually very little blood in them. Those are a, a weird self-assembling protein structure that, that occurs in blood vessels. Again, we, I mean, these are, I mean, people call these calamari clots. Because because they're they're not the color of blood. They're a much lighter color. They have a like kind blockages. of a rubbery kind of. They are blockages. They are, absolutely are, and they've been seen all over the world. You know this this gene therapy technology has created new medical diseases that we've never seen before. I mean, this is literally creating. Um, this is an amazing business model for the pharmaceutical industry because not only have they made a fortune out of this and they have no liability, um, you know, they're protected. They seem to be able to do whatever they want to us um, and, and with no liability. But they have created millions of injured people who are now going to be dependent on the pharmaceutical industry for the rest of their lives. So, so they've created a lot of customers. Uh, this, is, this is an amazing business model. Um, where you they can't lose uh, unless they are somehow held accountable. But so, but, but those, those calamari clots are a whole different thing. The, the microclots are, are literally microscopic, and and, and they're, because they're scattered through your, they can be literally scattered through your whole body. So you, so yeah, it just depends on on where enough of them end up. Um, will, uh, but the biggest problem is that they will accumulate. The, the damage will accumulate with every shot. So the more the more boosters you get, the more damaged your vascular system will be. 
So, so, so back to the original question. So, could that possibly accumulate over time and be responsible for the died suddenly, or is that more the heart damage and strokes doing that? Yeah. The, so, the died suddenly. Um, I think that a, a a lot of that is most likely heart. Um, mm-hmm. Probably scar. So, the ones that die suddenly, you know, the ones that die within in the first thirty days. I, I suspect are subclinical myocarditis, where because you know there've been two brilliant studies, one from Switzerland and one from Bangkok, Thailand, um, that showed that um, certainly in young men showed that approximately one in one in thirty, if they took girls as well, young adolescent girls, it was it was about one in forty three of young people had had evidence of of um, myocarditis or pericarditis after their second Pfizer shot. Um, but, but the greatest concern was 50, more than 50% had no idea. In other words, they had no symptoms. Mm. So they didn't know they had an inflamed heart. And so when they exert themselves, they go running or swimming or doing something, and they literally go into a fatal arrhythmia and drop dead. So the ones that are happening later on could literally be the microclotting because Heart tissue, just like brain and spinal cord and many other tissues in our body, cannot regenerate. Every time it's damaged, it builds up scar tissue. And because the scar tissue it will, will obviously accumulate with each shot, so scar tissue also changes with, with age. It tends to shrink, uh, uh, which is why you get scar contractures. If you've seen people with burns or other things, often they, they have to do a lot of physiotherapy to stop those contractures deforming them. But 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 in the heart, that scar tissue will cause abnormal electrical rhythms, which can then, at some later stage, trigger um, a ventricular fibrillation, you know, or, or some some lethal rhythm that will literally drop their cardiac output and they will just drop dead. So, so you think in so general, I think that it's quite possible that it, it's possible it accumulates, Sorry. but more more often it's the microclotting is probably responsible for these long term ailments, inflammation, neurological, yes. you know, what you're seeing these injuries. Yes, I, I think so. I, I, so I think, you know, for example, people who um, find their memory is not as good or, or you know, I've got one of my patients who finds ever since his, his, uh, his second shot, he has difficulty finding the right word, his ability, you know, to, he knows what he needs to say, but he just can't remember the word for it. You know, things like that. I don't know if if that's microclotting, but but it'll it'll cause very subtle defects. I, I've got about ten people in my medical practice that say that they just cannot walk as far as they used to be able to. Their effort tolerance is reduced, and and so I suspect that they got microclotting either in their heart or their lungs, and and because neither of those are tissues that can regenerate, they now have a scarred heart or a scarred lungs. So that their 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 ability to exert themselves is now reduced. So, you know, obviously, I get these heartbreaking emails every day, and people are looking for treatment. What are some ideas you have about important diagnostics for people to see if they have microclotting or some some other similar form of injury? Yeah, you know, the problem with the microclotting is that, well, firstly, the D-dimer goes back to normal. Unless, unless well, the, these 
these the 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 technology of these shots was brilliant um <laughs> it, it is evil beyond imagination but it was literally designed to, to be very durable normally to cover its tracks it really does you know the, these neurologically damaged people i've got i've sent them off to neurologists i've sent six to neurologists and the neurologists they shrug their shoulders they keep <laughs> doing mris of these people they can see they've got all these deficits but nothing shows on the test it's like a stealth weapon that you cannot see, and and, and they don't know what to do. They they they've got, they just don't know, have no idea what to do, and so. But in terms of the blood clots, a D dimer will only show if there's ongoing clotting or recent clotting. Mm. So sometimes in these vac injured people, it'll stay up for months if they've got because. These shots, you know, the fact that this is this is not a regular RNA that normally is broken down very quickly in our body. This is a laboratory altered RNA that that can persist for up to two months in our bodies and actually can get transcribed into your DNA. Uh, and that's been now proven in cultured liver cells that that that, that this was literally part of its part of its design and part of its capability is to actually be incorporated into your DNA. And, and so we don't know how long the production of spike proteins will continue. And we do know, you know, all of the, the genes in our bodies have things that turn them on and turn them off. Uh, you know, they have, so, yes. so we don't know what there's will no turn, turn on production of spike. No, there's no shuttle. And uh, we don't know what, the, I mean, maybe there is, but we haven't found it yet. Well, scientists haven't found it yet. And so, so we don't know at what point this will suddenly damage you again, uh, we don't know what the triggers might be. Maybe it'll be that your next, maybe if you get an RNA-based flu shot that puts some other genes into your body, that will, yeah, who knows? Well, we don't know. This is and, interesting and, and times. I want to speak about that, the other, the other, you know, shots, because, you know, obviously some of these other mRNA shots they're coming out with, they won't necessarily have a spike protein, but isn't it a problem that whatever you're coding it for, clearly there's no modulation or shutoff in terms of the amount, the time, and the place? Precisely. And, and, and the fact that these are literally designed to, to for gene editing, they, they also turn off other genes. So, so there are tumor suppressor genes that, that we have in our bodies, genes that enable our bodies to recognize damaged DNA and delete it. Um, it's like an anti-cancer gene or, 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 or genes that literally um, will, will recognize. Um, yeah. So, so, so these, these, this spike protein um, is also designed to turn off anti-cancer genes. But in terms of the, the other, so that's why we're seeing all these problems with cancers, and that's another whole conversation. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Ryan Cole seems to be the expert on that. He's a brilliant man, and, and I've learned a lot from him. I, I was but, ho yeah, but, I was hoping um, to get to that, but we'll need a whole other show because, unfortunately, I've had friends, family members dealing with this, and one of the things I've noticed here in the United States, now I know you guys in Canada have been having these uh, you know, backlog problems for years in, in, in medicine, but in America, it's unique that now radiology and oncology, I mean, these appointments are backed up for months. Yeah, no, that, that, that the cancers that I'm seeing, I have never seen such aggressive cancers, just enormous tumors. Uh, yeah, Could a patient you describe had, that? died about a month ago. So, yeah, I mean, I had a, I had a patient who was who was 
Um, so th- this this was a 61-year-old man who'd been a, he was a machine operator, and he was told that unless he was double jabbed, he was lo- he would lose his job, and so he couldn't afford to to retire. So he went for the shots, and and after his second Pfizer shot, he um, he told me he was he was just short of breath all the time. Uh, and so I thought, oh, well, you know, you've probably got the microclotting in your lungs or, or maybe your heart. Uh, it's not going to show on any of the tests. You know, I've tried this before. I've got one patient where they got pulmonary fibrosis and that, that did show up. But, but anyway, so for this guy, uh, so about a month after his shot, he went for a chest X-ray and it was completely normal, completely normal. Mm. Uh, and so, so anyway, then about nine months later, he woke up with this horrendous pain in his back. Uh, and he, he went into an ER where they x-rayed him and they found that he had this two-inch diameter tumor adjacent to his spinal cord that was pushing on it. And then they did further investigations and found that he had this four-inch diameter tumor in his lungs, in his chest. Now, I had a baseline x-ray from him that was from 10 months earlier. So I knew that 10 months before he had a normal chest x-ray. And now he had this 10 centimeter diameter tumor in his lungs Wait, that had 10 grown in 10 months. Centimeters. So, 10 I mean, centimeters. That's four inches. That's, that's like the size of a grapefruit. The friends I've lungs. been dealing with recently were measured in millimeters. So, yeah, 10 centimeters. Wow. 10 centimeters. And, and, the, and the tumor that had taken him into the ER that was, that was adjacent to his spinal cord was a secondary. So, this secondary. Uh, I mean, lung cancers are not usually that aggressive. This secondary had grown to two inches. Um, in, we don't know how many months, but obviously it was less than 10 months because it was a secondary. And he had secondaries elsewhere. In this guy, this guy was literally dead within two and a half months of his first symptoms. And, and by the time he died, his tumor in his chest had grown to 13 centimeters and had infiltrated into his heart. It was literally growing into his heart and suddenly he just dropped his blood pressure and collapsed and obviously bled out into his chest cavity. But, but all of his, and he had secondaries all around his body and they were all growing at a rate of about two centimeters per month. Wow. That's, that's like a, that's like the Frankenstein blood clot or blockage equivalent of cancers. And you know, that's not normal. It was, and, and, no, and just briefly no, and, for but, our but, audience, uh, could you explain the mechanism that you think is, is causing that? Well, I, yeah, so there are a couple of mechanisms, and, and I need to look into this more. So there are two tumor suppressor genes that, uh, one is called P53. Uh, th- these tumor suppressor genes are, su- are, are, are part of your immune system to protect you against cancer. Because whenever your cells divide, occasionally, um, you know, the DNA has to be duplicated with every, you know, every cell in your body has all of your DNA. And so every time cell division occurs, your entire genetic code gets, has to be exactly duplicated into the new cell. And occasionally an error occurs in that duplication because you've got, uh, what is it, about 140,000 genes. They have to be duplicated exactly. So if an error occurs, that's called a mutation, occasionally it can be a very harmful mutation and so our immune system is designed to be able to recognize those mutations and delete them, literally de- delete that abnormal cell. This vax is designed to block your body's ability to see those errors wow. so that your body cannot 
repair it. So, but, but there are also other things um, that I know is now being discovered. Often, one of the things that limits cancers is that when a cancer grows, cancers grow out of think, out of coordination with the rest of your body, um, which is why they form a tumor. A- and if a tumor grows too fast, it outgrows its blood supply, and the center of it literally dies. It's called tumor necrosis, where, where it, it basically kind of decays in the inner part. And these aren't doing that. And so apparently part, and I, I need to look further into this, so I, I, I hope I don't get this wrong. These are, so there is a, there's also a gene in our bodies that is supposed to prevent growth of new blood vessels and tumors. And, and that is also altered by this so that these tumors can just grow so amazingly. I mean, I've got another, another patient, also actually a lung cancer patient who also got lung cancer after his shots, who, who has a, a nine centimeter tumor in his leg. Now, I mean, normally lung, we just never see secondaries that size. Um, you know, this caused a pathological fracture in his upper femur. Um, it, it's, it's just weird. It, it um, but and, and I, I, so so Ryan Cole is the expert on that. Um, he, he has disclosed the multiple mechanisms through which yes. this can cause cancer. Yeah, that is really scary. I mean, to think that God created our bodies in a way to fight off cancers, even if your body ultimately loses. But there's a fight, and that's why it takes a certain amount of time. But you know, if you ever wondered, yes. well, what would happen if you take away? Um, that system, that immune system surveillance, well, now I guess we're seeing that, and it just marches in. I mean, we've seen stories of people die within weeks of first symptoms, and it just doesn't make any sense. And here we are, um, mRNA flu, mRNA RSV, RSV shots coming out in a few months, Pfizer and Moderna both have, and we don't have a legal structure to stop it yet, but we need it. Uh, wow. I mean, I, and, and, and rather than being a hero, you're still on the hook, right? You're still um, on the hook legally for, for just, what, freedom of speech? Well, for, for what they call spreading misinformation. And, of course, misinformation is anything they don't agree with. <laughs> oh, my god! You know, you know, what the other, yeah, I mean, they, 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 you know, what the first thing on their list is that, you know, I've said that ivermectin is a good treatment for COVID. Um, th- there's more information showing the safety and effectiveness of ivermectin for treating COVID than literally any other infectious disease on the planet, (laughs) yet they claim that that's misinformation. You know, there's now almost 200 scientific studies on ivermectin and COVID, of which 143 are peer-reviewed, and they claim that this is misinformation. Well, it's misinformation for what they're trying to accomplish, and that is very, very scary. Boy, this went by fast. Uh, I, you know, I wanted to have you for twenty five minutes, but this was too compelling. So I'm glad we got, uh, you know, the, the the full spectrum of this. Just the microclotting and the cancers alone, and you know, with, there's so many case studies on so many other organ systems at play. This is unbelievable. It's it's the number one issue: life, liberty, literally in its essence. Uh, thanks for what you do. Thanks for joining us, and please keep us updated on your your case. Thank you so much, Daniel. Have a great day. So there you have it, folks. Dr. Charles Hoff, a country doctor for 30 years, uh, primarily serving the, I guess, Indian population there. 
no games, no political agenda. You could tell just a guy that literally just saw it. And I think maybe he was in a position where others couldn't because he seems to have live in a small town. Like he said, almost a traditional old time country doctor knows everyone. Um, and, and pro- I guess treated them in the ER as well as probably only one hospital there in that town in Southern British Columbia. So he was able to pick up on those signals very early. And he actually knew the research about SARS one before. Why didn't all these other doctors know about it? But we could speculate about then, but two years later, not only are they not pulling these off the market, but they're like, what a success it's been. Now here are the next line of shots. You tell me after listening to that presentation on the stealth nature to which this attacks you, undetected, untraceable, killing and maiming untold millions, and this is the opening act, you tell me how this isn't the biggest life liberty issue around. Yet, for most Republicans and fake conservatives, it's not even a back burner issue. Well, we're going to put it on the front burner. Let me know your questions and concerns for Dr. Hoff at Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com, at RM Conservative on Twitter. Until next time, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.